Welcome to the Midwest. My name is Jesse, and today I have a real treat for you. Uh, I had the chance to talk to Scott Carney about his new book, The Wedge. It is a really great conversation we had. I got a chance to ask some questions that uh, people had sent me from the audience, and we got to talk about a lot of good stuff. So please enjoy this uh, conversation. Watch it all the way to the end. There's good stuff all the way through. Um, thanks so much for watching. Take a look at the links below. If you're interested in Carney's book, um, there's a lot of links below. You can take a look at him and his, uh, his previous books are on there as well. So take a look at that. Enjoy the interview. Welcome to the Midwest. My name is Jesse, and I would like to introduce my guests, uh, Scott Carney, the author of the book, What Doesn't Kill Us. Also, here, uh, we're talking about his book, The Wedge, his most recent edition. And a lot of times, sequels, they suck. Jaws 2, I'm sorry, it was awful. Uh, and I mean, Terminator 2 was really good. Uh, but the thing is, most of the time, sequels really suck. And so I just want to go ahead and just say, Scott, this one did not suck. It, it actually did not suck very much, very much so, <laughs> so that I can even say that it was nice. good. <laughs> um, I've, I've finished the book and- So this is like Empire Strikes, it's like Empire Strikes yeah, Back. It's, 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 yeah, it's, definitely, like it's in that kind of, you know, it's not like a Rocky two where it's like, eh, it wasn't bad, you know, it was right. Mm -hmm. But it, it's, it's more of a, it's, it's okay. more of, to be honest, I would put it in there with T2 and we're going to talk about that in just a little bit, but um, but just as a uh, yeah, nice. Yeah, I, I I do want to also introduce Laura, and she's been nice enough to to make a, a just an appearance today. Um, we we dragged her out of I cameo. Think she was she was taking an ice bath or something, or is that what you're about to do, Laura? Yeah. Yeah, totally, totally <laughs> taking an ice bath. That's why she's blue. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, but, but this, this book, there is a new character. And, and, and if you read, and I'm sure my audience, we've, we've read uh, What Doesn't Kill Us. You know, we had Wim Hof as one of the main characters. This book has a new character, Laura, Laura Carney. And I've got to say. <laughs> Lucky. Oh, no, 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 mm. no, no, no. Laura Krantz. Krantz. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. That. She'll I'm so sorry. <laughs> Laura well, Krantz. Yeah. And also your sister name is Laura Krantz. My sister is Laura. Oh, Krantz. my God. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, but Laura, you are, yeah. you are a central <clears throat> character that we, we see a lot in this book. And I, one of the things I loved about the fact that you were in this book is because there's so many people like myself um, and you know, that are practicing biohacking and doing a lot of things like this. And we have spouses, we have significant others. And it, sometimes it's like, well, okay, well, how is this affecting the relationship? Or a lot of times, if you ask my wife, my wife about how I got into a lot of this stuff, it was a kind of a weird thing. So what's it like being married to, to a guy who's doing all these crazy things, and then he gets you involved. Um, well, I, I mean, mostly, mostly it's fun. The potato diet was miserable. I will yeah. just put that out there. I will never do that again. Um, most of this other stuff, 
I will, I will say that there's a level of like reluctance when he initially proposes these ideas and I'm like, <laughs> do I really want to do this? And then there's part right. of me that's like, but what if it's fun? So fun? I usually end up going along with him. I, yeah, what if it's fun? So uh, I usually end up going along with him. I kind of draw the line at the drugs usually, although he convinced me to do that as well. Yeah, um, and just for the, the more you're watching and, and listening to this, people, the basic, but, uh, the, the, the basic <laughs> plot line of the story is uh, um, they get in a fight going to the float tank and then they eat nothing potatoes, but potatoes for a while. Oh, yeah. And then they go to a sauna thing. And then I think <laughs> just, just to like uh -huh. try to make amends, they, they're like, okay, look, we got to dope each other and fix this relationship. Is, am, I getting, <laughs> am I getting the story right? Yeah, that's okay, the story just, arc right there. That's, there it is. It's a story, <laughs> it's, it's a tale as old as time. Um, and so, <laughs> no, but, yeah, but there, really there's, there's a lot of things in, in this book where, okay, Scott is, is trying these things at the same time with you. And um, what I appreciate, mm -hmm. especially because my wife does like a bunch of crazy things. My wife is an ultra runner. So I was like, well, I'll try ultra running, tore mm -hmm. my meniscus the first week trying it, <laughs> you know, and, oh, and one of the biggest questions I always get, of course, I'm a Wim Hof method instructor. So a lot of people are like, hey, does your wife do Wim Hof method? And like, most of the time I had to say no. Actually, recently she got into cold showers, cold, you know, ice bathing and stuff like that. But for years it was like, no, she thinks I've joined a weird cult. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to see, it's nice to see this, um, this relationship and, and, and how, okay, this is affecting me this way, but it was affecting yeah. Laura this other way. Do you, do you practice Wim Hof method? There's, there's the question, Laura, and I'll let you go. Uh, yeah, we awesome. do the breathing every morning, um, or almost every morning. I will say every now and then, and we don't do the breathing. We didn't do it today. We actually. didn't do it we, today. We woke up today really groggy in our no, cat no, was no, 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 no. Don't say I was awake. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was this dead. To the I'm world. so glad you're here, Laura. No, 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 no. Scott. <laughs> I got tired of waiting for him to wake up. Okay. So uh, I went and made I went and made coffee instead. Um, but yeah, we generally do the Wim Hof breathing almost every morning. And then I take a cold, I finish off a shower in cold for about a minute or two in cold water almost every day. That's awesome. That's awesome. Did you, did it, did you start about the same time as Scott or was this something that? No. Did he nag? Did he nag you a lot? He, <laughs> um, he didn't nag, but it was sort of like he was doing it and it was like, well, I might as well try it. I mean, he was kind of like, it was, it was a little culty. I will be honest. Yeah, Your wife yeah. is right. It's a little culty. <laughs> um, but I will say that the, when I first started doing it, I was still working um, a full-time job in an office and just had a lot of anxiety in general. And I found that if I did the breathing in the morning, it would reduce it would sort of take the floor out from under that anxiety. So I would start at a lower level. And so by, I got, by the time I got to the end of the day, I didn't feel like I was about to blow the roof off with just feeling like anxious and stressed out. It just really helped set the levels a little bit lower. Yeah. And I found even now, like 
if we don't do the breathing, there's a tendency for the day to feel a lot more anxious. So yeah. it's, yeah. it's really helped for me. Yeah. Um, one last little anecdote and then I'll, I'll let you get back to your life. We really do appreciate uh, you, you being a part of this. When I started my Wim Hof method journey, I remember one time, of course my wife, she was like, you're joining some kind of this weird European cult thing. And uh, I, I actually, I was really getting into a, was really into a, a really good rhythm. I, I did about 45 minutes of the breathing. I was really going, and then I was sitting up at my desk, listening to music, just like, just loving it. And uh, I passed out and I had headphones oh, on. Shit. Yeah. And I, my, my wife was in the other room taking a, a nap. And so this woke her up. She came in and I was just like, you know, just on the floor <laughs> and I had the audacity to try to, uh, I, I tried to play it off. Like I, I was like, I'm in a deep meditative state. It's <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So she, she did not buy that of course. And then, but somehow she did notice that, like you said, my anxiety, I've always been an anxious person. Um, Scott, we're going to talk about video games, you know, things like that right. it's, it's stuff that I have always had issues with. And a lot of it, I didn't even really realize that I had issues with. And, and it just brought me down to that level where I was mm -hmm. capable of, of making a, a rational day happen. So, but yeah, thanks so much, Laura. Thank you so much for yeah. sharing with this. Uh, like I told Scott, um, earlier, you were my favorite character in the whole book. So I really do. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, make sure you give him a hard time. Yeah, oh, oh yeah, yeah. Now's the gotcha questions. <laughs> Nothing but gotcha questions now. Thanks. Nice Thanks, to meet Laura. You. Thanks. See you in the ice bath later. See you in the ice bath. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's true, Laura. Laura is the hero of the book. There is no yes. doubt because yes. me doing crazy things is one thing. And then dragging my wife along, like the real stress, because the wedge is all about like going up against different stresses and controlling yourself and seeing how things work out. Right. The real stress was like, will my marriage survive? And it has, yeah. it has survived. It is possible. And you can too. That is, the, <laughs> that is what we're, well, and, and what throughout we're, the whole we're talking book, about here. Yeah. Throughout the whole book, that's something that, consistently you came back to and, and I really appreciated that and and for those of you watching yes we will get into a little bit more of the details of the book here in just a minute but while we're on this topic um, it was something that that kept coming back and the reason why I think I I think a lot of people will really get a lot of out of it is because this is we're not just in a vacuum you know it's what it's great when you hear about these people who do these amazing feats and things like that but guess what? I've got a wife, I got a child, I've got a job, I've, you know, I've got stress. And, and so it was really kind of cool, um, especially because you didn't have the same reactions. And that's, I think, something that a lot, I can really right. relate to because my wife and I, we generally don't have right. the same reactions to these things. So, but let's totally. talk a little bit. And that's actually like, so I want to talk about that for a second because yeah, I think it's it. really, really important to know that these techniques and all of this the crazy shit that we get up to in our lives yeah. um, is, is not the same for everyone. Like my experience as an ice bath and your experience in an ice bath may be related, right. but they're not gonna be the same because we all have different backgrounds, we have different physiologies and all these things come together. And even 
the techniques that work for me don't need to work for you. There's no reason you have to say, look, I did it, so you have to do it. it right. And that is like a real problem in like the, the wellness self-helpy industry anyway. It's like, I have the answer and I will tell you it'd be awesome as me. And that is fucking bullshit. Uh, because <laughs> we, we, all, we all have to try our own, we all have to walk our own paths. Yeah. And, and, you know, the Wim Hof Method, I'm a huge, I'm, I'm one of the biggest proponents of the Wim Hof Method out right. there. And I think people should try it. I think it's cool because I don't think it's going to hurt you. But if it doesn't speak to you, like, God bless you. And please find something that does work for you. And that's the only thing that matters in this whole game of life that we're, that we're doing. And, and, you know, I don't want people to think, because I do do like 10 different things in the wedge. Yeah. This is not the 10 techniques to make you super awesome. It's not, <laughs> it's not the point. The, the point is, look, these are the things that I did. These are the things that worked for me. And you can see how they worked differently for my wife as a, just a, a single case study. But what we're seeing is like there's a theme through the, all of it that, that, that where you encounter stress and how you respond to that is the thing that you can take to everything. And that's what the wedge concept is about. Yeah, I'd like to read just a little bit from your book. Um, something sure. I really, I think, encapsulates what your thesis is when it comes to this is the wedge. Because I think this is something that mm -hmm. just people talking um, before you read the book, even reading the book, you've got an entire chapter dedicated to really explaining what that concept is. Uh, and then, then you've got a lot right. of chapters afterwards that give different examples of this. This is another way I found the wedge, right? It's not like, like you said, a right. cookbook. And then when you do, when you do all these things, you've got the wedge, right? But the, and at the, the last mm -hmm. chapter of your book, when you're kind of bringing it all together, and this might be the, this is the English professor in me, but, um, but I really liked how you brought this together. You said, and then, and then it's something else together. Oh, wait a minute. I was reading the wrong thing. Okay. That's also the English professor in me. This is the wedge. This is why the wedge is so powerful. We always have one choice in the face of life's obstacles. We can follow reactions that are already hardwired into our body's physiological responses, or for better or worse, resist those urges and will ourselves a different path. Either way, life challenges, the crests, the valleys, the turbulent oceans are the stakes that define what we're made of. The, de uh, the decision we make in the face of death are what, uh, is what makes us real. So this, this is in that last chapter um, where you're kind of, where you're kind of bringing it all together. So when it comes to what this wedge is, to me, I, I feel like it's a, it's a really good argument for free will, you know, on, a, on the very microscopic yes. level. Um, it's not just level. free will mm -hmm. as, you know, typically we talk about with, with philosophy, you know, will I go to the refrigerator to get dessert? It's, it's on this level of, um, like you say, separating that stimulus with the response. And so with each chapter, you've got a chapter on um, just different ways that you've found the wedge. So you've got one chapter with uh, throwing kettlebells and another chapter with taking MDMA, which I loved how sketchy it sounded that <laughs> the story of you guys did. You know, but, but you have these things that seem, I mean, if for the average person, if you haven't 
read the book, you're probably asking yourself, how are these things related? Um, how, how, can, how can these two things be you know, in the same book? The same. Just briefly, what right. would you say to that? How are these things related? What is it that, that brings them together? Mm -hmm. Well, so the, I'm going to try to reference that passage that you, that you selected because it's a really good one. Um, and, you know, we, we feel things, right? We have sensations. We are conscious, right? Mm -hmm. and, and here's the question. Why the fuck are we conscious, right? right. Why, why is that, that even there? Why is that a, a, a biological human ability? And it's because, you know, all creatures have evolved to sense the environment around them. And they have automatic programming and autonomic programming, things that just happen in their bodies. And then they have their brain being like, okay, let's go reason this crap out. And the reason why we have sensations, the reason we feel anything is probably come through evolution where it, it allowed us to survive death because death is the ultimate um, modus of change over the course of evolution. Right. So, so we have sensations to tell us what we're feeling. And then we have the brain to be like, well, what's that feeling mean, right? And that's what free will is. It, the free will is us deciding what those sensations mean. That is the, 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 the stress is the anvil and the hammer is the brain is should we strike the anvil or not. And, and, and this is the, the, the very central piece of the wedge because we are always being honed by death. Death is absolutely coming because it came for everyone before us. And I, if you're one of those guys, and I don't think you are, but if you're one of those people who thinks that we're gonna be immortal through technology or whatever, you're wrong, we're right. gonna die. <laughs> and, right. And, and, and all of that hardwires into us. So when you jump into an ice bath, it's not gonna kill you, but it triggers the, the fight or flight responses. It triggers your survival instincts and survival is about not dying. And everything in response to that, that you, that you can possibly feel comes down to that death response. Like love, love, it, what feels like the total opposite of death, right? right. And I love my wife. But love is about survival. It's about, uh, you know, uh, procreation. It's about community. It's about, um, you know, the, the, a, a thing that is beneficial to life. So that is also about death. And when you realize that, um, it actually gives you a lot of freedom. It gives you a lot of freedom to know that, that it's coming. Because we all know in our heads. I mean, the first page of the book is like, I've got a secret to tell you. Yeah. And it's really bad. Yeah. And it's, Sorry. It's going to fuck you up, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and we all know that, right? We all know it's coming, but we don't, we try to avoid it. Um, yeah. and, it's, and, and that avoidance is a really actually modern invention. It actually sort of comes up at around the same time our really comfort making technology shows up in the world, right? Our automatic thermostats, our you know, total control of the environment. Before that, if you go to like the, the 1800s or the middle ages, there's this, there's this Christian concept, memento mori. Remember right. death, right? Yeah. And, 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 and because people were like, yeah, I can't control this shit. They, there was no like, um, you know, immortalist uh, Aubrey de Grey figure back in the, I mean, there actually, there was like Methuselah, right? There was these, there was like mad kings who tried yeah. to live forever. Right. Um, but, but everyone else was like, yeah, we're gonna die. But, and I saw my aunt die like last week and my, you know, and, and so I need to remember that because that's gonna be what makes me alive. That's what, what makes my life meaningful. And, and I wanna bring a little bit of that back into the yeah. world where we live now so that, so that we are humble in the face of that. And then also realize 
but our bodies are sending death signals all the time. And, and those signals are not necessarily accurate, right? Usually they're way early. They're, they're like, they're even just looking at an ice bath, right? You're not even in right. the ice bath. Yeah. You're looking at the ice bath. And even now I've been doing the Wim Hof method for 10 years. <laughs> I look at an ice bath and I'm like, oh no. No, 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 no. I did this before. I've done this. I don't need to do this again. Yeah. I mean, who has not thought that, right? Right, right. <laughs> I, I feel a little and, cold and already. Then, maybe that'll be good enough. Right. Maybe I can just, maybe I'll just pass up this right. one, right? No, I, I'm the same way. Right. You know, I instruct people in taking ice baths. I lead it all the time. And I still, every time I look at the ice, I'm like, Okay, you know what's happening up here intellectually, but it yeah. still happens. It still has to happen, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, and everyone has, even Wim, I'll note, I've been to many of his trainings over the years, right? right. Wim doesn't always get in the ice bath, right? Wim, Wim is like, all right, you go in, go and get in the ice bath. Yeah, you could do it. You could do it. Breathe. And then, and then he's like, okay, cool. You all do great, very well. And he walks away and you're like, wait a minute, Wim. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're feeling the same shit I am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's human. It's human. I don't blame him. I mean, he's a great guy, but, but we, yeah. we, we all do this. And, and, and the beauty of being alive is making the choice to do it, right? The choice, yeah. uh, the choice to say, okay, I will face the stress. And my brain does have free will. Right, right. And one of the things that I love about ice bathing and just cold exposure in general, whether or not you're even doing Wim Hof method, is the, the decision that you do make. So you, you have to make that decision to choose discomfort over what seems easier, right? So you're choosing, like, like you talk a lot about in your book, and you, you do a really good job of, of, of taking a lot of this, this biology and what actually happens in our brain um, and making it understandable. Um, it sounds like, I think you were, you were talking to Dr. Otto Muzik, who I've recently been able to, to talk to quite a bit. And good. after I talked to him, I'm like, what did he just say? You know, I'm like, it's always yeah. so way over my head. And I'm like, all right, let's see. I've got to yes. do some research to try to yeah. unpack that. But, um, but every time you get into the ice bath, something that I feel is a, is a big benefit is you start to see yourself as a person who can make difficult decisions. You know, it's that yes. you start actually looking at it in a different way and you start retraining that, that stimulus, that, that stimulus and response uh, aspect. And, and I think that's what you're talking about in the wedge. Another aspect mm -hmm. of Wim Hof method that you touched on was the issue with carbon dioxide and anxiety. Could you, could you ex yes. kind of touch mm -hmm. on that for a minute? So CO2 is like a huge subject, um, but yeah, let's just go right to anxiety and right. carbon dioxide. Yeah. Every, so the body cannot detect oxygen, right? We, we don't have that, we, I mean, we don't really have that ability. There, there is actually a way that we can see it, but only at the very limits of, of like life and death. But in general, when you're holding your breath in a Wim Hof breath holder or whatever, that, that gasp reflex does not come from a low available oxygen. It comes from a high CO2 uh, in your system because you, you, you inhale oxygen, you exhale CO2. And it's that acidic byproduct that triggers all of your chemoreceptors to say, oh, no, I have to breathe. And it's, it, it feels, it's like anxiety, right? It's, it's the same sort of pathways that, that make you feel anxiety. Now, uh, 
one, and there's so many ways to go from, from where sure. I just said, because, you know, we, we can go in like endurance, yeah. we can do, um, you know, PTSD, like there's so many ways to go. But one thing, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do two short stories here. Yeah. One is I'm going to talk about Brian McKenzie. Now, what, and also the Buteyko method, which is like sort of the inverse of the Wim Hof method, right? Um, right. Wim Hof is like rapid breathing and Buteyko is slow breathing, and, and they're both awesome. Um, and with Buteyko, what you're, with Wim Hof, you're blowing off CO2. You right. blow it all off. You have, you, you simulate the, the physiological responses of essentially a panic attack or a high endurance moment. And then you control yourself in that high endurance moment, right? And then, then you're holding your breath at lungs empty and then you, CO2 builds up until you get to the anxious place and then you breathe. That's the Wim Hof method. Now, Buteyko is the, is the opposite. You're breathing really, really slowly and the CO2 levels rise and make you sort of anxious. And again, you're controlling your response to the CO2. Uh, and, and so one is like blowing off the roof. That's Wim Hof, blowing off the roof. And where Buteyko is like sort of raising the floor of tolerance, which is why they're, they're very compatible. I mean, you might as well do both. Yeah. Uh, I'm more of a Wim Hof fan, but they're both awesome. And, uh, and, and the, but the cool thing and, and about this is that, is that we often feel anxious for a number of reasons. It's not, you know, we, we, we read something on the internet, it makes us anxious. We have our healthcare premiums, it makes us anxious. Like whatever out there makes us anxious. And there can be lots of reasons for it. But one of the reasons could also be because most of us are mouth breathers. I am a mouth breather. I'm a proud mouth breather. And when I do the Wim Hof method, I breathe out of my mouth. Some people say the nose, that's fine. I do it in my mouth. Yeah. And, and so we're, we're, we're sort of chronically hyperventilating, which means we chronically have low CO2 in our system. And if you do nasal breathing, you, you build up tolerance to that CO2. But most of us, are, are sort of blowing it off all the time. And then what can happen is that you're not thinking about your breath. And for some reason, your breathing pattern changes unconsciously and your CO2 levels can rise and that can trigger anxiety on its own for physiological processes. Because every creature that resp respires, respirates, respi respires, yeah, respires. Uh, in the world, all right, including fruit flies, okay, okay. <laughs> respond to CO2. And they're like, fuck CO2. And the, the, the fruit, you get CO2, you put it near a fruit fly, the fruit fly runs out of the room. Uh, and, and this has to do with like early evolution in volcanoes, right? Volcanoes spew a lot of CO2, it can kill you. And so every creature is hardwired to this and it goes through your amygdala. Um, that we're, we're, uh, sorry, it doesn't go through your amygdala. It, it, it's through your chemoreceptors and your lungs and, and brain. But even people with damaged amygdala, Right, so, that, so I'm gonna to move to another section of the book where I'm talking right. about flotation tank. So, um, you know, like Alex Hanhold, right? The, 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 the free climber guy, right, um, right. you know, climbs El Cap. You know, people have speculated, and I've actually looked at, I'm actually not even 100% sure anymore because I've read so many different articles about Hanhold's possible brain damage. So um, <laughs> basically damaged amygdala, right? Right. We think, so, like lesions so on it or something's, in, in other words, and that, it, he, there's a, a, a damage that causes the person not to feel fear, as I recall in the book that, that you're talking about. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. You become, the amygdala is the fear center. It, it does some other things too, but, but, it, and if that is damaged, you cannot feel fear. Like you look at a train coming out, you're like, huh, train. Okay. And, <laughs> and there are people, whether or not Alex Handhold is one of these people, there are people who have these damaged amygdala and they just don't scare, nothing scares them. <laughs> uh, so I went to um, 
to, to uh, Oklahoma uh, to the Tulsa Brain, uh, sorry, the Laureate Institute for Brain Research. And one of the, the neuroscientists there says, okay, I'm gonna dose you with high levels of CO2. And, and he has dosed people with damaged amygdala and triggered their fear responses. They have panic attacks. They've never had panic in their life. They take the CO2 and they panic. And this is actually a useful technique for cognitive behavioral therapy. And you'll do this in a CBT session where, so because you know, oftentimes people who get panic attacks frequently fear the panic attack more than anything else. It's the actual yeah. losing control in the panic. So what they'll do in some of these CBT um, sessions is have you in a safe environment, give you the CO2, trigger, sorry, trigger the panic attack and then be like, no, you're safe. And that's sort of like exposure therapy to panic attacks. This is like the really dumbed down and probably some therapist is like, mm, you sort of fucking got it wrong. <laughs> it's basically, uh, and, and so, so this guy doses me with CO2 and, and, and it's like a bag and I'm have like a Bane mask on my face. And, <laughs> and what, what the test is, is you're supposed to press a button. You get a 32% mixture of CO2. You take a full lung in, in, inhale and then you just exhale it. And for most people, this like is hugely like, running out of the room, panic. And, and you're supposed to press the button three times over the course of 30 minutes. So cool, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, oh fuck, I'm gonna make a fool of myself, right? Right, <laughs> yeah. Balance handholds gonna freak out. I'm just Scott, right? <laughs> and so I take the, 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 I take it in and then it feels amazing. Yeah. It, it's like, oh, this is the end of a Wim Hof breath hold. This is that moment where you're like, almost transcendent and you're seeing yeah. faces and colors and things and you're like oh wow and so the doctor is like sitting across from me being like mm, he's got a panic and he's like, <laughs> i'm like whoa this is great man and i press the button like 11 times oh my god like six or seven minutes and he's like i've never seen this before this <laughs> biologically usually just cannot happen. And he's like, you must have trained your chemo receptors to respond to CO2 in different ways, just because of doing the Wim Hof method. And it's been almost 10 years now that I've been doing, the, I think it's like nine, but basically 10 years of doing the yeah. Wim Hof method. Yeah. And I have just, and anyone who's doing the Wim Hof, it's just, I'm, I'm not special, right? You're, you were probably trained your, your, your chemo receptors sure. as well. You know, you're, you get to that end of that breath hold. And if you can like relax in that moment, you have now yes. fundamentally changed a piece of biology that, that, that everyone else thought was impossible, which is probably why I'm not generally an anxious guy. It's right. probably why like, I can handle a lot of different situations and, and you know, be okay. I mean, it's not like I'm immune to it, but generally I'm all right. Yeah, now would you have described yourself as an anxious person uh, or someone who had a lot of anxiety before no. practicing with Huff? Not really. I wouldn't have. Yeah. That's not, I, I mean, I wish I could. Like, <laughs> I really want to be the guy yeah. who was right. like, yeah, man, I couldn't have, I was stuck inside. I could never leave my house because I was so anxious. And then I did the Wim right. Hof and everything was better. No, unfortunately, <laughs> that's not me. Um, um, I, I, with Wim Hof, I did have some changes that were sort of dramatic, but that was not one. I've always been sort of someone who can take risks. I've exposed myself to risks a lot, especially in my 20s and, and, and teens and 20s. And I think... I mean, all of that's the wedge too. It's like yeah. you, you do something sort of crazy, you realize you can survive it or you're, you're lucky enough to survive it. And then that gives you more um, uh, uh, 
uh, range in which to act in the future. So yeah, yeah I mean, I was like a I was like a war correspondent in India for a while. You know, I I I, right. I, I hung out with organ traffickers and mafiosos. So. No, I've never been actually like ridiculously anxious, but oh, sure. just like anyone else, I can be like there's <laughs> shit that stresses me out and these techniques um, help. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, I guess I guess you at least got over your canker sore uh, problem mm -hmm. with the Wim Hof method. Mm -hmm. I, I had really bad allergies before I started Wim Hof method and I've mm -hmm. been alleviated of those. There's all these things that you don't really expect to have happen as I go, okay, well, I guess I don't have that problem anymore. There's a lot of cool mm -hmm. stuff there. Um, but you, you found a lot of really cool ways to research the wedge and the average reader, you know, I, as I was reading this, the one thing I was really wondering though, was what were the duds? What were the ones that just oh, yeah. like, no, no, uh, you know, I'm drinking urine and it's just not working or, you know, oh, <laughs> did you have any duds or <laughs> yeah, anything I was, like that? I was apparently, apparently I was drinking urine for a while. Yeah. I didn't do anything. No. <laughs> was there anything no. that you tried to, you know, yeah, experience yeah. the wedge that just didn't make it in the book or just, man, yes. this is, no, this sucks. Right. Or, or how, mm -hmm. what would you say? Yes. There absolutely were. I, I, at the beginning of this, I didn't know what I was going to look at, right? I, and I yeah. was like, well, what, what, I, I know that I, I just got off Mount Kilimanjaro. I was in my skivvies and I was like, all right, I've done this for 10 years-ish and now I want to go find something else to do. And, right. and, and so I, I sort of flailed around a little bit. I was like, you know, let's just see what everyone's doing in the biohacking community. Yeah, right. I sort of like, <laughs> grab, did a grab bag of, of crap and, and, uh, <laughs> I want to be like, I want to say something like, I got addicted to turmeric for a while. <laughs> um, um, and, and, but yeah, there, and, and I didn't include these in the book because they didn't work for me. Um, yeah. They may work for other, you know, results may vary. Um, I wanted to just do the positive things. I didn't want to go out yeah. and debunking people. That's not that, I'm, I used to do that. And now I'm like, eh, well, you know, it's all right. But right. Um, I'm just an N of one, right? I'm just one person. But the things that didn't work for me were, um, the first one was nootropics. Like, so I went yeah. down to this company in, in um, San Diego uh, and I did Qualia and, and I talked to the guys at Qualia and they were amazing. They had such a great philosophy and, and bent on life. And they had yeah. this pill that was supposed to make you smarter and more productive and more awesome. And in every way, all you had to do was take the pill yeah. and then society would be better. I mean, they had this oh. whole shtick. And I was like, yeah. I was like, I love it. I love it. I'm going <laughs> to take me, your pill and see what happens. That. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I did. And it was like, oh, this is like bad caffeine. And I feel like I actually feel anxious on this crap. And I'm oh. definitely not smarter. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, parent, and, and the, the other important thing is there was no active component. So the wedge is often about pushing yourself against stress and it's like responding to stress and it's like being in this thing and like the pill philosophy is sort of like this thing that you do yeah. no work for other than giving me your credit card number and chewing on that or taking your stack or whatever yeah. um that's that that's the that's the work and then the pill will do everything for you and the wedge is really about putting the work in yourself so yeah. it and one the pill didn't work for me and two, even if it did work, it wasn't me, right? It would have been the yeah. pill doing it. And there was no like thing that I was coming up against. So that was like a, a dud for me. The other yeah. thing that was, was a dud was a transcranial electric stim. 
right? Okay. And like ele shooting electrodes into your brain and like, you know, frying it and like doing stuff. And yeah, yeah, I don't know. I tried a, like three different varieties. I, I looked to the, the, the people who created it. I'm like, you are sketchy as fuck. <laughs> you know, like, like I tried to track down this one dude. I spent like, like I actually spent a while looking at, at, at TCDS. And, yeah. and, and there's this one guy who was like, apparently like a Russian inventor who was like connected with like the Cold War, something or other, and yeah. found a way to manipulate the stock market. And, and I was like- Oh, oh that's extra nice. Oh, that's great. <laughs> you couldn't find him. And the more I went into it, I was like, whoa, this is fucking bad shit crazy. The guy who sells, it's like a stunt man. Like it was weird shit. And I actually got my brain zapped a few times. I was like, well, there's maybe something here. I don't really right. know, but what's, what's behind? And, and then I eventually like tracked down the, the, the guy's offices and they were super sketchy and it was an abandoned building in LA, abandoned. And I was like, all right, I, I can't do it. I just, I just can't do it, man, I can't do it. And so I think that, that, that electric, and the other thing is even if, I, even if it was, did work, right? Which I right. don't think it does, but even if it didn't work, again, there's no active component. Where am I in that? Where am I in the brain zapping thing? And, and I think like neurofeedback would be more interesting. And I didn't go down that route. And I think that maybe that is the route that I, I could slash should have. Um, but I also wanted to make the wedge cheap. Like, yeah, yeah, I like that. There's a few things that are expensive here. Like the most expensive. Scott. Hey, Scott. I'm losing you. There you are. Okay. okay. All right. Let's start. You, I, I lost your right whenever you were talking about how you wanted to make it cheap, something that's accessible. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So, so most of the wedge I wanted to make cheap. I wanted to have stuff that that wasn't like super pricey. Like you know, oh well, if the Navy SEALs can do it, you can do it too. If you've got a hundred thousand dollars, like right. like that whole like monk in a box thing, like like thirty years of meditation in a box. I, you, you know what I'm talking about. Like um, that that just doesn't appeal because I want stuff that 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 most people can do. So the most expensive intervention I talk about is flotation tanks. And honestly, I think they're amazing yeah. and they're way cheaper than pharmaceuticals, but I don't do it all the time because it's like 70 bucks every time I do it. And I'm like, mm, that's not quite worth it. But for someone suffering from chronic anxiety or PTSD, it's probably cheaper than a medical intervention. Yeah. So try it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's, so that's like worthwhile in, in its own way. But like, I mean, honestly, the most expensive, like it's breathing, okay? It's cold showers, okay? It's kettlebell, like throwing kettlebells around. Kettlebells like 20 bucks. Yeah. Um, the MDMA, I mean, it depends on your dealer, right? <laughs> your dealer, <laughs> yeah. really expensive. I mean, I don't know. If, if, you're, <laughs> if you really got the hook up, then maybe you could do it, you know? But, well, and then another thing that you, you talked about was sauna. And of course, now, I guess, yes. you know, not everybody can go buy a sauna, but there are a lot of gyms out there that do offer sauna that you can use. Right. And, you know, I know the gym that I go to has a, like a steam room and I can go back and forth between the steam room and the cold shower. Right. And, right. You know, there's a lot of ways you can make this modality work. Um, I, right. the, the flow tanks, they, they really are awesome. I, I, I'm completely with you there. Mm -hmm. they're, they're just really awesome. Yeah. They're a little pricey, but you don't like, like you say, it's not like something you have to do every single day in order to receive the benefits right. when you actually go. So it can be that right. thing that you say, okay, this weekend, you know, me and the wife, we're going to make sure not to get in a fight before that cracked me up. That right. was awesome. 
because I can totally relate to it. <laughs> I think all married people can relate to it's like, okay, we were, we went into this and we colored it with the mindset that we had when, whenever we went in and it, and it affected us in a totally different way. You talk about a negative wedge in your book. Yeah. And I think that's, right. I think that's a, a just as important to think about because we do make, just like the, the passage I read earlier, we make the decision one way or the other. So a lot of times we make mm -hmm. that decision in a way that affects us mm -hmm. really negatively too. So, um, right. so yeah, I, I thought that was really yeah. good. Um, the, uh, I do have a few questions from the audience and then I also have a few more questions of my own, but I, uh, no way. Sure. The audience, the, the audience, audience sent, there's other, there's other people. There are others That's out there. Amazing. There's others. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, so, uh, a guy named life lover, he, he wants to know a little bit about your mindset on the Kilimanjaro climb. So, um, you were mm -hmm. part of that expedition that went up with Wim Hof climb Kilimanjaro. Mm -hmm nothing but shorts. Um, it, you talk about it in both books uh, extensively in, uh, mm -hmm. in what doesn't kill us, but also you do refer to it quite a few times in the, the, uh, the wedge. Right. Um, he is going to be climbing uh, the largest mountain in his country. I'm not sure what that mountain is, but he was wondering. In Holland? I, the largest <laughs> mountain in Holland? Yes, wow, when The largest one in Wyoming. Fucking... Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, no, but he, uh, I, I don't know where he, <laughs> I don't know where he lives, but, but he's going to climb the largest mountain in his, his area in nothing but shorts. He was wondering, Oh, he, this guy that, that not, you're not talking about whim. Okay. Thank no, you. No. You're, talking about, you're talking about life lover. Okay. Okay. Life okay. lover. Great. The guy who's awesome. asking the question. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. That wouldn't have made the news quite so much. Yeah. So he wants to know, what if you give him some kind of insight on your mindset what 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 did your mindset yeah. look like going into that kind of a challenge okay so one thing i want to say, you're climbing up so let's say it's a 14,000 foot square peak like what we square peak a 14,000 yeah, no, foot yeah, it's a very large peak. Uh, yeah the, like the ones we have here in colorado um I'm going to say one thing first, always, always safety is first. You need to plan B. If your plan A is to be up there in your shorts, great and shirtless and whatever, great, but be sure you have safety equipment with you. And you're, and, and if you should fail, you can fail safely. That is the most important part of the mindset is not being an idiot. Okay. Yeah. So that, that's, for, that's number one. And when I went up Mount Kilimanjaro, I, I had a backpack full of like, I had like a big puffy jacket in there that was very light and I could put it on. Like there was, there was stuff I had with me. And I will also note in, 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 in what doesn't kill us, there were two times that I had to put on a sweater uh, on the way up because it was too cold for me. I mean, we're talking negative 30 yeah. degree um, temperature with winds. And, you know, I was like, I'd rather not die here. So let's just throw on a sweater. And, and, and you can do that too. It's not failing. It's okay if you yes. do that. Um, and then, you know, then you take it off and, and, and you know, just be safe, be safe. Um, all right, but the mindset, um, so there's two things you have to worry about. One is altitude sickness, depending on the height that you're going to, and the, and the other is the cold weather. So the, so the altitude sickness, um, breathe, do the Wim Hof breathing without the breath retention and do that, you know, as er earlier, like well before symptoms will set in. 
So with, with, with the Kilimanjaro expedition, I did it the whole way up, which was probably a little bit too much. You know, I could have probably started at 8,000 feet, but I started at the base of the mountain doing the breathing. Um, and you'll notice that, that, and here's where you can sense oxygen. I said you, your, your body just senses CO2. You actually do sense oxygen when you're at altitude and the world dims. Like if the world is like you're putting on sunglasses and you're like, hey, it's, it's grayer here. You are low on oxygen. Breathe harder, okay? So, and, and, and it's really just like, don't do nasal, do, do, do your mouth because you're trying to get as much air um, flow as possible. So, so that's the method we use and it works. It worked all the way up to um, where we got in Kilimanjaro, which was Gilman's Point, which was like right below the summit, the true summit. Um, so that's the breathing. The cold, the cold is uh, interesting because at first, it's really just your fight or flight responses. And what, I, what, what I, I want you to give yourself as many mental tricks as you can. One trick I heard was think, pretend you're holding an umbrella in front of you. Right? And I kid you not, the, uh, the uh, mental cool. umbrella that's breaking the wind around you. like something. So it's basically imagining something protecting you. That's useful. I don't know why it's useful, it's useful. And another thing that, and, and, and the other one that I use is I think I have a fire breathing dragon in my, in my belly and it's bringing me fire. So I'm like, I'm using these images of heat and fire and I'm even making like <laughs> sounds as I go up the mountain. Right. And I'm trying to like inhabit those, those ideas of heat. And you can bring up other fiery images, but but it's like it's like trying to like remember fire and giving your body that sort of conception. So perception is coming from your nerves to your brain. Right. Uh, conception is going from your brain to your nerves. So you're trying to give yourself a concept of of, of heat. Uh, another thing that is very useful to do, and this is what I've I've done on many of like the cold water cold weather races I've done sort of in my in my uh, skivvies. Um, is I think that the sensation on my skin of cold is not the sensation of impending doom. It is the sensation of joy, all right? And, and like, like yes. that, that strong signal coming in, because it's it's, all it is, at, it's, a, it's chemical and electrical impulses going into your brain. That's, your brain is in a float tank right now in your mm -hmm. skull. It only knows the world through your nerves. And, yeah. and, and when, when the nerve comes into your brain, uh, that, sorry, that signal comes to your brain, it has a volume associated with it, but no real character. Um, and, and I talk about the, the fundamental biology, which is super interesting in my book, it's called neural symbols. But if yeah. you say, as that signal's coming in, and it's all, it comes in constantly, it's like, it dings you all the time. And you say, no, that signal is joy. And you tell your brain that that signal is joy. And you do that by saying, that's joy. Yes. Okay. And you think about joyous things that has a real serious impact on how your body responds. Uh, and, and I think it's like voodoo. It's, it's like, you know, the, you know, I get it from a sensation level and, I, and I'm still trying to wrap my mind around the, the biological and chemical processes that are going down. But I think um, your body is basically finding new ways to heat itself in that situation. And, and I have like really look, I tried to like, talk with neuroscientists about it and they're like yeah here's what's coming in and they're like so why was i able to be on top of the mountain like that and they're like maybe it's brown fat <laughs> yeah right i love that it's like yeah maybe yeah <laughs>
That's awesome. And, and it really comes back to what you talk about in the wedge. It really is this decision whenever you're faced with this impending doom. Um, mm-hmm. you, you talk, you, you give a, a good example, the, the example of, uh, the, I think it's like the mountain lion and the, the deer or, or whatever, the, the predator and the prey. Yeah, right. Basically, you know, they've got the, the same, essentially the same things going on psychologically, but their, their purpose is different. The, 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 there's a difference between why right. I'm in this situation. And, and that's, that, that's- Right, so that's Brian McKenzie's, um, yeah, so that's that's Brian McKenzie's um, um, story that he likes to tell, and, yeah. and and I'll just try to make it a little clearer because um, it's basically when you have an antelope and a lion or whatever is on the right. plans, but it is right a gharial or something like. So we have an antelope and a lion, and the and the lion is chasing that antelope. Um, their that you know their nervous systems are actually functionally identical, right? They're both dumping uh, cortisol and adrenaline in there but the the only difference between them on a physiological level is that the lion is the only one who wants to be there yes yeah yeah just the, having having that purpose that direction in in mm-hmm. determining where you're going with it um one more question i have from alan he asks um after learning all of these biohacks after going through all this process what does your everyday routine look like? So it's, it's, it, it's always starts, Laura and I, I mean, almost always, not today, but almost yeah. every day, at, le- at least six days a week, I wake up and, and Laura and I turn over and we say, do you really want to do the breathing? And I'm like, no, you, <laughs> it's not regular. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, it's, like, it's like every morning. And then we're like, okay, let's do the breathing. And then we're always happy we did the breathing. So it's, right. it's three rounds of Wim Hof breathing followed by another round with some push-ups and some stretches. And I do a headstand and then we hug. Like that's like the, 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 the ritual in our mornings. And then warm shower at first, cold shower at the end. That's like, it's like the normal Wim Hof shit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and then uh, in addition, I've added kettlebell routines uh, when I can. It's a little harder in COVID uh, Laura and I will throw sometimes, but like I have some dudes that I, that that we you know throw about and have kettlebells and look awesome and shit. And, <laughs> and so we, we do this stuff where we throw kettlebells back and forth, where you know you're trying to stoke a little bit of fear and danger because throwing right. kettlebells, the real danger is you're going to break your foot. But because you're doing it with empathy, you're trying to learn trust with the person. Uh, you you actually find yourself in a in a in a, in a state of flow because the threat of hurting your foot is always present and it forces you into focus. So I do that. And so there's this emotional and physical aspect of that. I happen to own a sauna because I have this whole sauna chapter and I was like, I'm yeah. going to treat myself and I bought a sauna. Yeah. And, and so we do that probably three or four times a week. And I sit there for like half an hour, an hour in the sauna, about 190 degrees ish. So I do that. And that, those are my base. Oh, and I do long bike rides. So, yeah. Um, I do, and this is not like a Wim Hof or like a super spooky thing. No, it's right. a long bike ride. I, I bike like 25 miles out to Golden from Denver and I'm back. And it's meditative for me. Sometimes I'll take a pot gummy because <laughs> it's legal here. So it's totally fine. Right, right. And, and Indi- we need to figure this out in Indiana where I, I live. We're just we're behind the times. So, yeah, but that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, the other things in the book, I will 
go into them sometimes, right? But those are they're not only regular. And I think it's really important that people need to find the things that speak to them. For me, I hate the fucking gym. Like I hate yeah. the gym yeah. because it's like, <laughs> and like I hate I, CrossFit does not speak to me because I don't need a dude yelling at me that I have to do more push-ups or whatever. Like. Right. Some people love it. Some yeah. people think that's fantastic. Yeah. And you know what? God bless them. Like, right, they, right, right. But, but for me, I'm like, nah, nah, nah fuck that. I'm going to go <laughs> on my own. And, and so I am like really hard to, I'm a person who's hard to train because if someone tells me to do something, I'm like, mm -mm 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 -mm. right, no, right. No, no interest. <laughs> Laura, Laura loves the gym. Laura yeah. is there all the time. She happens to have a six pack. I don't. So <laughs> maybe, maybe she's got the better method, right? I don't know. But the, this is, this is, this is uh, my life. <laughs> well, and really you touch on this in your book and it's something that's been a pet peeve of mine forever is how we do focus on just aesthetics when it comes to mm -hmm. our health and wellness, as opposed to what our bodies can do. And uh, you know, mm -hmm. so, I love going to the gym. My wife is a runner. She hates going to the gym. It's, you know, I think that just like you said earlier, it's, you know, there's one thing that's going to work for one person. Maybe it doesn't work for another person and God bless you. You know, that's, yeah. that's part of it. And lastly, yeah. lastly, let's see here. I had, I had a little bit, there was a chapter at the end. Uh, after you take the bomb dose, this is a chapter on ayahuasca. So, I mean, just, just for Ayahuasca. those who, yeah, who yeah. have not mm -hmm. read the book, he does a little bit of everything. This, this chapter, he says, he took this, this, this dose. He says, as I hunch over the plastic bucket, I realize that I'm not exactly expelling the poison from my stomach. Okay, so he talks about puking a lot in this book. So thanks for that, Scott. Uh, <laughs> but he says, <laughs> I'm vomiting up video games. Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> I'm vomiting up video games. The puke is splashing mm -hmm. into the bottom of the bucket. And it, it, it isn't vile. It's three decades of electronic addiction. Whatever I've realized in the ceremony a few days ago congealed up inside me. And now it's all coming up in a watery sludge. I puke out the cycle of dw uh, dwindling on uh, one game and my immediate desire to start another. I hork out the accomplishment they make me feel. I purged decades of subtle neurological training and the industry has spent billions wiring into my head. I barf, I, I barf it all out until my ribs hurt from the hollowness. It concentrated in my stomach and now I'm kicking it all out of my body like it was poison. This is not necessarily, I know it might sound like Ulysses, uh, but it is, this is, it's not James Joyce. It is Scott Carney. Seriously, this is, this really touched me. You talk about a video game addiction. And I think this is something that a lot of, I think especially it affects a lot of men. I know it affects a lot of mm -hmm. people. And you, you mm -hmm. talk about how you're living another person's dream, I believe is the way you put mm -hmm. it. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of the video games you mentioned were the ones that I was like, yeah, I've, I've played that myself. And, and it's something <laughs> that I've noticed in myself that the, that when I get into those rabbit holes of video games, I feel miserable. I, it's right. not really a good thing. Mm -hmm. It's just this, mm -hmm. it is a strange addiction. Has that been something mm -hmm. that you've gone back to? Do you still dabble a little bit or really, how, mm -hmm. how does that look in your life now? Yeah. So when I did, ayahuasca i didn't want to think about me playing too many video games right so i'm an author yeah, right. and thanks for the most 
Thanks for the most embarrassing moment in the book for me, actually. This is You're the, the yeah. part that, that still makes me cringe because I, because I, so I'm an author and I have like a lot, like it's like intense work, right? Intense experiences. And then yeah. the converse where I'm just like, I got nothing to do for like three months, man. I got nothing to do. And, and what do you do? Like if you're in the modern world, one of the things uh, I guess is, is, is like, like, for me, that was a thing that I did, and 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 the and I didn't want to talk about that in my in my ayahuasca experience. I wanted to go out to the universe. Right. I wanted to feel the big experience. Feel it all. I wanted to be blasted yeah, off. With the ego, all of those things. No, and that's what why it hit me so hard is because, <laughs> oh my God, this is really valuable. Thing, something that really is valuable in your life, right? Tangible. Yeah. 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 And, and I think a and lot so of people the first relate. Oh, the first experience was me taking ayahuasca and ayahuasca just telling me, dude, you're lame. Basically. <laughs> it was like a psychiatrist being right. like, nah, you play too many video games. I'm like, I want the universe. Like, no, too many video games. <laughs> and, 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 and then it told me, it, like, it, was, it was lecturing me saying, and here's the reason why video games are great for you. Or like you, you are, you're so addicted. It's like, it's like this, this sense of accomplishment. There's not only the blinks and the bloops when you do something good, but, but like, you know, you're, you're sitting around, not much is going on and then, Hey, I can win something, you know, I can, yeah. and, and that makes you feel good. It's like that release and whatnot. And, and there are actual neuroscientists involved at these game companies. And that's why they sell the most addictive game ever. Right. This is yeah. like, that's their marketing spin. And for me, it was something that I, a rabbit hole I could go down. And I spent an embarrassingly long amount of time doing video games, like several books worth of material when oh, yeah. it's like Dota 2. Oh right? yeah. So, so it's bad. Right. And so, and so the second time I do, I, I, well, I get lectured to for like eight hours. Right. right. And then, then, uh, you know, I go like, okay, the second time I'm like, I'm going to make this the big experience. And I, and I, and I make the ayahuasca. I actually brew the ayahuasca and I'm blowing my intentions into it. I'm doing all that hippie shit. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and it takes like, it's like a 20, like four hour process. It's a really long time to get the ayahuasca done. And, and we make it and, and the shaman, Tony, Tony the shaman says, the this shaman. is going to be the bomb, right? Yeah. This is the bomb. You're going to be, you're going to go in. And, I, and I'm like, cool. I take the bomb dose and we're in the, you know, I'm in the jungle. I'm surrounded by jaguars. There's no electronics out there. I mean, it's all, it's all that shit. And then yeah. I take it and I'm like, I'm going to meet the universe. And, <laughs> right? and like, and there's, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's just no experience at all. It's just like, well, I'm just bored and I'm sitting in front of the shamans playing his drum and like, okay, here we are. Why did I come to Peru? Right? Yeah. And then the vomiting happens. I, I like, like literally that, like whatever happened in the three days between the ceremonies, like it was like congealing in me. And it was like the physical manifestation of the video game went into the bucket. And yeah. here's the crazy thing is, uh, so that was, I believe about two and a half years ago that I had that experience. And I didn't play video games at all until about maybe about until COVID. Till COVID. Oh yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, all. that'll do it. Right. And then COVID comes around, and and I actually did. I played the game Civilization recently. Oh, I'm I'm hooked on that it. game. I've yeah. I've played yeah, so much of my life on that game. So yeah. all of all of them. It's a good all of them. Yeah, it's a good game. It's a yeah. good game, right? Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with video games. If you like them, God bless you. It's awesome. For me, it was maladaptive. But now, I, 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 so I was like, I was like, I didn't want to play them for a long time because I was like, well, I'll just get hooked in again. 
I'll just get like driven in and I'll just play it all in all my free time. And, and, but then I did turn it on because I sort of wanted to see, I sort of wanted to answer this question for people before the book comes in. That's the most altruistic way of thinking about it. The other one is I want to play this fucking video game. Right, right, so right, right. I turn, <laughs> so, I, 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 so I played a few games and they're all right. They're cool. Yeah. They're, and it, I don't have that same um, drive to like go and just start the next game and just go into the next thing, which doesn't mean I don't think I could create that drive in myself. Right. Like I, you know, if I, if I just double down, it's like, you know, you're addicted to cocaine for a while and you try that wasn't the thing that got you rehooked, but then you did it again and again, and then yeah. like you're hooked. Right. Yeah. So we can, we can make sure it happen. Could, yeah. I'm sure we could make it happen, but right now it's like, cool. And I feel a little, like I'm more attentive to like the, Oh yeah. I mean, I sort of feel like I should be physical. Like, and so yeah. it's, it's actually really an interesting time um, in this. And maybe you should check back with me in like six months to see if this is like the tipping point into my like, like um, neck beardiness. Like just look at the sh my shaving right. line. You're like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Right. very nice. Yeah. I'm noticing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, um, the thing is, I think it is, it's one of those opportunities for a negative wedge. I, I think what we have there, because I had to kind of un, addict myself, you know, from, I, I was really into civilization and my, my excuse was mm -hmm. that it was educational. I'm learning about history, you know, and then, uh, oh, you know, and then the Skyrim came out, I forget what, at what point, and then I played that. And, but then I stopped mm -hmm. for a long period of time, just like, okay, I quit a drug. I can never go back. And then occasionally I'll go back and play a little bit, but th I think there is, again, there is that there's that decision I can make. Do I go face first into this old addiction? Yeah. Or, or mm -hmm. is it just a nice little thing? I can put it down and be productive with my life again. <laughs> well, hey, I really appreciate, we've been talking now for about an hour and I've got lots of other questions that I'd love to talk to you about, but I'm going to let you get back to your Saturday. Um, I really do appreciate it. Guys, uh, for anybody watching, I do highly recommend this. This is, this is a book that it's not only, it's, Scott does a great job of, of deconstructing some really complex ideas, but he's also, he also does a great job of keeping it fun to read. Uh, there's, this is the English professor that's going to be speaking a little bit here, but, but he, he uses uh, present tense in a way that, that keeps you engaged. And then he, he'll, he does a lot of the stuff that goes where it's like, okay, suddenly um, I'm going to talk about this thing that happened in the past for a little while. You, you really have a hard mm -hmm. time putting the book down. Um, the nice thing is if you do mm -hmm. want to put it down, then it's fine because each chapter is kind of like a, it's basically an essay on this particular part of mm -hmm. how the wedge works. Right. So it's really nice if you don't even really care about the potato hack, which again, we were going to just make this a whole conversation about our favorite potato recipes, but, uh, but if you don't really <laughs> care about it, you don't have to really read it. However, right. later on, he has a dream, he eats a potato and you won't get the joke if you don't read the potato hack part. But the point is- That's true. <laughs> the point is, it's a really overall, I, a very, a really great book. It's, um, again, it's, it's more of a Terminator 2 than it was a Jaws 2. It's a really, it's a really great sequel to your really good okay. book. So thanks again so much, Scott, for, uh, for talking to me today. And uh, guys, go out there, get the book. Tell Laura we said thanks. I'm sure she's still in the ice bath. I will. Yeah, I mean, it's only been like an hour. I mean, of yeah, course she is. I bet you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, guys.
Tchau, tchau.